Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey guys, what's happening? Today on our first episode of Player 2 Talks 2, we are joined by former OXM writer and now social media manager for Activision, One of Swords, also known as Dan Amrick. Uh, uh, just if I pronounced that right, Dan? You did. You did. So many people say that it's Amrich as if I'm made of money, but no, it's, <laughs> it's Slovak in origin and is a hard CH. So thank you for getting it right. Appreciate it. Excellent. <laughs> So, Dan, your, um, your Wikipedia page describes you as an American writer, author, which I'm assuming are the same thing, uh, actor, musician, and social media expert. Uh, would you say this is an accurate description? No, <laughs> no. Um, I don't know that I'm a social media expert. I mean, the, the writer and the author is, I think you're an author once you write a book. So since I wrote a book last year, that makes me an author, whereas before I was just, you know, some magazine hack. Um, but, uh, social media expert, I never, you know, my mom always used to joke that X is an unknown quantity and spurt is a big drip. So I, I, I think that it's dangerous if anybody calls you a social media expert. The worst word is guru. Oh, he's a social media guru. That's like shorthand for that guy has no idea what the hell he's talking about. Yeah. So, um, I would say that I'm really good at arguing with 14 year old people on Twitter, but I don't know that that makes me a social media guru. Uh, my, my title has actually changed. I'm now simply community manager for Activision because so many people use social media as a marketing platform, which frankly disgusts me because mm-hmm. I sit down on Twitter and I see like, here's people talking to people directly and they're often people that you would never get a straight answer out of or have the opportunity to speak one-on-one with them. Yeah. And meanwhile, here comes a brass band going, buy our crap. And I'm like, you guys just, you are missing the whole point of human communication by using Twitter purely as a marketing tool. I think it's, it's asinine. So as soon as I found out that social media manager and my title wound up getting me like invited to a bunch of conferences about how to maximize your page views and, and uh, you know, uh, all this like marketing speak crap, I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to be part of that world. No. And why don't we just make me community manager since my job is to relate to the community of Activision gamers. And they're like, okay. <laughs> well, speaking uh about the community, we, we, we yeah. do notice that you do get quite a lot of abuse um, sometimes when uh, something Activision does doesn't quite go to plan. Yeah, um, well, even if it even if it go, works perfectly, I get a lot of abuse. <laughs> even, even if everything happened the way it was supposed to happen, uh, yeah, I, I I do wind up being the internet's punching bag. It is kind of par for the course. Yeah, was this something you thought uh, you'd have to deal with when you you took the job in the first place? Yeah, when I, uh, I I took the job in January 2010, they started talking to me in the middle of 2009, saying we're thinking about maybe adding this position. We want to we want to interview several candidates. You're one of those candidates. Would you like to come down? And I knew that one of the big, the two biggest uh, downsides of this opportunity were going to be one. I had to relocate to Los Angeles, which 
I still, after being here for three years, it's really just not my town, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I'm a little uncomfortable geographically. You previously um, uh, San Francisco. Yeah, San Francisco for 13 years and New York for three before that. So it's not the big city thing that bothers me. It's the uh, – well, it's the everything that L.A. is that bothers me, I guess. <laughs> um, but uh, that was you know, that was one that I was just like, well, I haven't lived there yet. I'll try it. Yeah. Uh, and the other one was knowing that anything that people – anybody hated or disliked about Activision – I was going to be that guy that they yelled at. And sure enough, I mean, you know, and I did weigh, like, is that, is that a role I want to play? You know, that's basically waking up knowing that you're going to get punched in the face by Twitter. <laughs> it's, how much, it's how much you take it personally. And unfortunately, I do take it personally more often than I should. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, sure enough, the, within, uh, let's see, at the end of 2009, Activision had uh, just put out some DLC for Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2. Yes. And... Uh, I think the DLC came out around like mid-October or something like that, really late, maybe even November. And then suddenly at the end of December, it disappeared. It was because that the license for the Marvel Universe, uh, which is different from the Spider-Man and X-Men licenses that Activision has, that ran out. It just, it changed hands. And a couple of weeks later, Capcom was like, guess what, guys? We've heard you. We're finally doing Marvel vs. Capcom 3. And they needed that same Marvel Universe license to do it. Yeah. So that meant that anybody that got uh, MUA 2 for Christmas had no opportunity. They had one week to get the DLC, and then boom, it was taken offline. <laughs> so suddenly, everybody angry is like, how do we reach out to Activision? And sure enough, <laughs> the forums were like, hey, they've just got this guy who's there to relate to the community. Scream at him. And that's what I got. And so I'm like, guys, what the hell is going on? And I went back, and you know, I'm still learning people's names and where they sit. And now I've got my first crisis. And I asked, I said, what is it? They're like, well, we no longer have that license. I'm like, okay, well, that's a perfectly rational, reasonable thing. People understand that the game's business is a business and that, <laughs> you know, if you don't have permission to do something, you can't do something or else you get sued. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, incredibly bad timing, but at least we can offer a rational, no, you can't tell them. <laughs> Why can't I tell them? Because we don't want to, you know, we don't want to anger our partner. I'm like, your partner is not angry. They're making money with Capcom. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, <laughs> so it took a very long time before I was able to, like, I knew the answer. And I'm like, guys, this, there's no shame in this answer. Why don't we just tell them the truth? This is the kind of transparency that we need if we want people to trust us as a company. Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so over time, I've, you know, I've gotten enough credibility in, in the house where I can say, guys, we don't need to tell them every last detail. We're not revealing a contract here, but we have to give them a reasonable answer or else they will come up with their own unreasonable answer and believe it's true because we don't deny it. Do you see the trap that we're going into? <laughs> and it's taken a long time to educate some people within Activision that that's kind of what we're facing. In the absence of uh, real information, fake information will gain credibility no matter how stupid it sounds because people don't have anything better to do. Yeah. So, yeah, it, um, I, definitely I started off literally within the first week and a half of uh, just being the beating. You know, Why don't you release this because we want it? And I'm like, I don't even understand how these things work yet. Let me do some. So, yeah, it is, um, it is a reality of the job. It's something that if I didn't accept it, uh, you know, I wouldn't have taken it. But I can't deny that it does make me really angry an awful lot of the time and I do I come home and I I bitch and complain and I and I whine to my wife and she's like uh-huh what do you want for dinner because she's a great sounding board she understands what I go through but at the same time she is not going to like reinforce you have a reason to be upset about these total strangers thinking they're entitled to things they're not entitled to yeah and she's just like let it go they're not going to be happy you've done everything rational that you can do 
relax. Yeah, so she's actually yeah. on your podcast. She's always like the sounding board for you and Hugh when you both go off on she, something. Yeah, exactly. Hugh and I are the two crazy people, and she's the the rational voice in the middle. That's sort of like the middle of the seesaw. Yeah, because either one of us can tip at any time. You know. <laughs> so yeah, uh, previously to working for Activision, you were the um, an editor for IXM. Yes, uh, for a brief period between official Xbox magazine and uh, Activision, I was actually editor-in-chief of the official World of Warcraft magazine for about four months. Yeah, was And that... I was talking to Activision at exactly the same time. <laughs> they called me when I was moving my desk. I actually missed Activision's first call because they, they, uh, they called before I had a permanent desk and my phone was reconnected uh-huh. at the office. <laughs> it was kind of funny. I'm like, you know I just started this new job. Like, I finally, after 15 <laughs> years, I'm editor-in-chief of something. They're like, yeah, but we still want to talk to you. And ultimately, it turned out to be the right thing to, to leave the Blizzard magazine. It wasn't a very good fit. But yes, I was at OXM for three years. Uh, as the features editor. Yeah, do you miss working in the magazine business at all? A- absolutely. I know that uh, if you if you ask anybody uh, who has never worked at a magazine, they say that the magazine business is terrible and <laughs> is uh, over and is dead. And it's just not the case. Um, you know, I read my magazines on my iPad now. I still love the magazine experience. I love sitting down and reading a thoughtful, researched feature article on a topic that can go deeper than just rumors on a blog site or a passing news story that says, well, that happened, you know, or whatever. Uh, I think Wired Magazine is still one of the absolute best magazines in the world. Yeah. Uh, my, my other favorite is a UK magazine called Guitarist, which is, has nothing to do with anything other than it's a UK <laughs> magazine, and I wish I could work there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I do miss everything that I used to do. You know, you, it, it does grind on you after a while. After three years, I was a little burnt out. Mm. I was coming up with between four and five magazine features a month, uh, not all of which would get used, but it's just it wears on you to just constantly have to come up with new ideas and then be told, no, that's not good enough, you know. So I needed a break, yeah. and what I wound up doing was taking a different career path. But, yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely miss writing reviews. I miss writing features. Uh, a lot of times I will still come up with feature ideas that aren't something that I could do because it doesn't fit with one of swords. Yeah. But I'll send, like, an instant message to old friends and be like, hey, you know what would be a cool feature? And, you know, sometimes they, they are happy to see it, and sometimes they're like, go back to your job, you know. But, uh, yeah, I, I really do miss that. I still self-identify kind of as a writer and a reviewer. Mm. So I, I kind of feel to a certain extent that I'm playing a little bit of out of, out of position where I am now. Like, uh, yeah. that my natural voice is as a reviewer and a feature writer. And, uh, you know, this is a fun challenge, but I don't, I don't know if I'll want to do it forever. It's working out. Uh, but I do, I do kind of miss the old days, yeah, and not just for nostalgia, just for using different muscles. <laughs> yeah, well, I used to listen to uh, the old OXM podcast with you and Ryan, and um, the the really old Games Radar podcast with you, uh, Brett, Chris, <laughs> all yeah. those guys. Um, but a lot of those guys have followed kind of your lead, gone from the the websites and the magazines into uh, kind of these roles within game companies themselves. Yeah, um, uh, do you think this is kind of a natural progression? I do, because uh, for one, you've got people that are very well suited. Again, you have that schism between like sort of the traditional marketing thing at a video game company where they really don't know how to do anything but say, please buy our product. Yeah. And then you have these people who came up only relating from the gamer's point of view and learning how to communicate with people on a mass scale. When you write a review, you're hoping that thousands or tens of thousands of people are going to read what you write yeah. and take it to heart. So. That that voice is very valuable, mm. um, and it does make a lot of sense. The other thing, of course, the downside of working in magazines is it's just not a lucrative business for writers. Writers are notoriously underpaid, 
and uh, if you you know you're doing it because you love the work and you get the opportunity to be surrounded by something you love every day. Yeah. But I you know I never made significant money uh, as a as a game reviewer. You you do it because you love doing it. Yeah. Uh, whereas you know this is a little bit more stable. Uh, people value your skills more. So many times, you know, I, I felt like I was living in fear that I was going to lose my job as an editor every single day, just because I knew there was some kid coming out of college who would do my job, maybe not as well, but for a hell of a lot less money of the meager sum that I was making. <laughs> you know, like starting salaries uh, in video game journalism are still, you know, uh, around $25,000 a year, you know, maybe thirty. Yeah. Um, you know, if you come in as an intern, you, you might get even less. Uh, so, you know, it does make an awful lot of sense. And I'm, I'm really happy to see Antista and Brett Elston, Gabe Graziani, who was one of the other Games Radar guys. He's now Ubi Gabe on Twitter. He's yeah. uh, doing community management for the Assassin's Creed series. Uh, Andy Salisbury, who used to be a PC gamer, he's up at uh, what used to be Monolith at the WB studio doing the Lord of the Rings games. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's kind of funny. We have like an old boy network. Obviously, Jeff Green <laughs> went to EA from, uh, from CGW, and now he's over at PopCap doing stuff. Uh, yeah, there, there's sort of like a secret guild of ex-editors now doing community <laughs> management, and we all talk to each other, and we're all like, "Hey, did you see? Is this? Are you getting things like this?" And you know, we'll do panels together sometimes. It's fun. Yeah, uh, but yeah, of... it, it feels like a natural progression because it's still human communication. Yeah, you know. Yeah, speaking of panels, uh, you're doing a panel probably um, before this podcast comes out. Actually, at WonderCon, uh, is that tomorrow? Yes, uh, tomorrow in Anaheim. Uh, another old friend from uh, the, who used to be on the editorial side. Uh, back in the Game Pro days, Doctor Zombie was Francis Mao, and he was actually the creative director. He was like the art director, and he ascended to the VP of creative and all that stuff. But uh, you know, he would also review games, and he he drew all the Game Pro characters from the old days. If you remember, like oh, wow. Dan Electro and Scary Larry, and Cat's uh, character was Miss Spell, and yeah. Air Hendrix, and all those guys. He was the cartoonist who was also in charge on a corporate level, and he would draw the illustrations for the magazine. He now is in charge of uh, like events and services for Capcom. Uh, so he puts together a, a panel every year called How to Get a Job in Video Games, and he asked me to be on it because uh, it's down in Anaheim, and normally uh, WonderCon, this particular thing, is up in San Francisco, so he doesn't need my help. Yeah. But when he's in L.A., he's always like, uh, can you come and can you bring some <laughs> friends? And the, the focus of the panel is uh, not just like, here's how to be a developer or a designer or a programmer or any of these marquee things that you think of. He really wants to encourage people, if you're good at organization or if you're good at math, you know, you can be a lawyer or an accountant or a producer or something that's maybe behind the scenes but still lets you touch games every day and yeah. you can have a job in this industry. So that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's what we're going to be talking about tomorrow. I'm going to be talking about my editorial days on that because he's got somebody else to cover community management. But oh, yeah. right. um, Have you decided what costume you're going to be wearing? I don't know. I'm I'm torn. I'm gonna see. Like again, I'm I'm still kind of sick from being at PAX last week. So I was gonna go in my full Ghostbusters outfit. I recently got a new Proton pack. Nice. And so I kind of want to show it off. But you know that thing's like 25 pounds. <laughs> but if I'm already gonna be weak all day long, do I want to go around in like heavy combat boots and a particle thrower? And I got a trap strapped to the side of me. The other thing, I have a nice steampunk outfit that I might do. Yeah, that one uh, looks amazing. Is that the one Cat helped you design? Yeah, yeah, the like the fancy coat. That was my my nice gift to myself for uh, for doing the book. Uh, I I put some money aside. I'm like I'm finally gonna get myself a really awesome nerd jacket. <laughs> so I have this, like leather steampunk uh, kind of airship captain's uh, coat with tails that snap off if I want to use it as a small jacket. And yeah. I just don't get the opportunity to wear it very much. So I'm, I'm I am kind of leaning towards that. I've got a top hat, and goggles, you know, the whole bit. So. <laughs> 
I don't know, but it, it it should be funny to be like all these people up there talking seriously about their work, and I'll be there. <laughs> like, hi, uh, if you want to be a Ghostbuster, this is how to do it. If you'd like a Zeppelin pilot, here's how to do it. You know, yeah. Um, I've heard a lot of other uh, video game podcasters uh, mention you as like a a, a real help in hand uh, when they're getting into the business. Really? Yeah. Well, mainly uh, uh, Brett Elsnors tells the story of how he, he wrote to you, uh, and you oh, yeah. really helped him. Uh, got him yeah, yeah, he called out of the blue uh, to GamePro, just being that enthusiastic gamer and realizing, being smart enough to figure out that nobody's going to ask you to be on a video game magazine. You have to go out and ask them yeah. if you can join them. And he did. And he just said, I'm looking for an internship. I'm going to be in the Bay Area. And he was in uh, Illinois or Indiana or something like that. I forget. Mm. I, I like to tease him about it, but I actually now do forget. <laughs> um. um I think he was from Illinois, but he wasn't from Chicago. And because he grew up outside of Chicago, Chicago got all the good press. Yeah. So he's always like anti-Chicago. <laughs> uh, and he asked, you know, do you have an internship that I could do? And uh, I guess, you know, he just he spammed it to everything wisely. He just wrote to every magazine or publication in the area. And I wrote back to him and said, you know, I, I really don't. Um, but I, you know, I wish I did because we could use the help. Mm. They just won't let us take on any more interns right now. Um, have you contacted Future, which at the time was Imagine? Yeah. Uh, and he said, no, but I, I will, thanks. And I gave him a name of somebody over there that I thought could help. And that person was like, yeah, dude, come on out. And so he actually did get his internship at Future. And then, you know, five, six years later, uh, boom, he was working there. When it came time for Games Radar, Future was like, you know, there was this guy who we had come out as an intern. I've always wanted to give him a shot. Maybe he'd be ready to do it now. Yeah. And that was Brett. And then Brett came up to me. He goes, you helped me a lot. I'm like, I did. Like, I had no idea that that, that had actually borne fruit for him. But, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, if you're serious about wanting to do this as a career, there's a lot of people that I think that are like, that would be a cool job. And they, all they think about is, like, I want to get free games, you know, and they don't <laughs> think about further than that. But if you have the, you know, the wherewithal to bring somebody up cold and say, this is what I want. Is this something that I could do with you? The worst that's going to happen is you're not going to hear back from them. Yeah. The best that's going to happen is they're going to say yes, and somewhere in between is no, but have you considered this? Like, you, you never know if you're going to get somebody who is willing to answer you back. A lot of people that I've worked with were like, I don't understand why you spent so much time in the forums. Uh, I would write back to people who had written in letters to the editor you know, for publication. Yeah. If it wasn't something that we could publish, I would write back their answer personally. <laughs> and. Uh, you know, a lot of people won't do that, but I just, I really like interacting with the community. I think that getting an honest opinion from somebody that just bought what you made is really, really valuable. Mm. And that's how I got in the habit of talking to trolls, because people would write to me and say, your review was completely wrong. You guys are clearly biased. You, uh, you're being paid off by Microsoft at the official Microsoft magazine to say nice things about Microsoft games. And I'm, you know, I'm going to cancel my subscription. You know, everything is always a threat yeah. with some people. So I'd write back to those people, and I'd be like, well, uh, just so you know, you know, here's what our deal is with Microsoft. Uh, they don't actually approve any single page that we put out at all. Um, they were not happy that we gave Crackdown a 7 out of 10. So <laughs> shoots, they were actually pretty pissed. Really? Uh, like, so that kind of shoots down your uh, conspiracy theory that they're paying us for good stuff. Yes, I gave Gears of War a 10. That's because I felt the original Gears of War was worthy of a 10. This could just be a, a difference of opinion. And, you know, sorry, I, I, you know, if, thanks for being a subscriber as long as you have. If you decide this is the end, we'll be here if you ever change your mind and want to come back. And then I would get amazing emails back that were like, 
oh my god, I didn't think that anybody actually read these. <laughs> uh, first, let me apologize. I was really angry when I wrote that email. I'm like, yeah, I know. Uh, pretty clear you were angry. Yeah. But I felt there was a lot of good to be done by reaching out to these people and remind them that, hey, when you write a letter, you are actually writing to another human being, not some faceless entity, not a giant corporation, not some money vacuum that just wants to take your wallet. There are people that are trying to do a good job with what they're tasked to do. And my job was to pick letters and answer the letters that came into the editor. And uh, I loved doing that. But sometimes I would just get so angry and frustrated at the, like, I, I want to use this word carefully, but it's ignorance. Like, they really didn't know what they were talking about. And it's not willful. They just, nobody had stopped to explain, this is why there are 65 editorial pages and 35 advertising pages. Yeah. That's a ratio that's actually a business thing. And once you know that, then you tend to get less angry. Because we would get letters all the time from people that would say, how come you, you waste all these pages on ads? <laughs> You know, that's somebody that hasn't considered how do you build a magazine. Yeah, and so I take those opportunities to sort of educate and not make them feel bad for not knowing that. But I figured they would stop complaining if they understood the other side of the story. And the joke in the industry has always been ad pages pay the wages. You know, <laughs> people would regularly write in and angrily say, I, my subscription fee pays your salary. You have to do what I say. And if then, But then if you break it down, like subscriptions were... Maybe, you know, like you get a magazine, 12 issues for $12 or 12 pounds or whatever, right? You get this blowout sale that you're getting an unbelievable deal and you don't even have to leave the house to pick up the magazine. Now, in the UK, subscriptions are much less important. In the UK, it's all about newsstand. It's going to your local, local news seller, picking up the latest issue where it is not heavily discounted. And here in America, you know, like a, a magazine would cost – let's say six dollars yeah. i don't think they cost that anymore i think they're more up to like seven or eight but then that same issue would cost you a dollar or two dollars to get it delivered to your home and then the people that pay the the ad budgets are getting twelve thousand dollars for a single page in that ad yeah. in that scene you know like so yes i am here to serve you the reader but you are actually not paying my wage <laughs> from the guy that's saving 80 percent on the cover price yeah. you know Without telling somebody, you know, and, and I don't want that answer to come off to that person as, dude, you're not as as you think you are. Yeah. But I would often take the opportunity. After a while, you know, I had just written it out and I would cut and paste it. I would add a little personal intro <laughs> outro. But I would be like, just so you understand, this is how the magazine industry works. And so while I really appreciate your support, and, and those advertisers would not be interested in, a, in even buying that $12,000 page if it were not for your constant support. Yeah. Your desire to get a year of our magazine, uh, it's really, you know, it's kind of like a hollow threat. And it doesn't make me feel good that you feel like I'm your personal slave. Thanks for reading. Bye. You know, uh, <laughs> so that's kind of what led me to the path that I'm on, because I found that if I spoke with respect to people that did not speak to me with respect, a lot of times I could engender respect in response. So uh, that's kind of the core of why I do what I do. Yeah, it's kind and of it's, what you do now as well, isn't it, really? Yeah. Uh, we had a question on uh, on our Facebook page uh, from Claire Walker. She asks, um, "Where do you think social media plays the part in the the next evolution of gaming, like with the the PS4 uh, with a share button and things like that?" Oh yeah, you know, I'm kind of excited by that and kind of not excited by that. When I saw that, I thought that was amazing, but at the same time, uh, the first thing that I could see was totally banal things, right? Like I don't need to know. Blur by Activision, <clears throat> he says buggingly 
one of my favorite games. That was one of the first games that integrated Twitter and Facebook uh, stuff into the menu. So if you wanted to tweet about like your rank in the game or that you were about to play, yeah. uh, could go in and do that. And it was you know it was buried within a sub menu, so it wasn't as easy as a one button thing. I am afraid that we're going to see like I'm playing PS4. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've turned my PS4 on. Yeah, it's like the it's like the paperclip in Microsoft Office. Looks like you're writing a letter. It looks like you're writing a letter. Shut up! I don't care. <laughs> I'm playing Uncharted. You play whatever the hell you want to play. So hopefully, gamers will realize that the world is not so fascinated with everything that they do that they need to use the share button every time. That said, there have been times that I see friends on Twitter say, "Hey, I'm jumping onto Black Ops, or I'm jumping into Sim City, or whatever," and I go. Ooh, ooh, our friends are on. Let's go join. So I think it's absolutely valuable, but moderation is going to be the buzzword of the day. <laughs> yeah. Don't set your console to auto-tweet. Don't <laughs> Raptor lets you do that now. I have it set off. I use Raptor. I like Raptor. I just don't broadcast Raptor every time I start a game. I and I, say, of- I, I'm, uh, I have to say I'm guilty of, of uh, auto-tweeting. <laughs> I, hey, I'm playing Bioshock, so uh, yeah. Well, aren't you? <laughs> don't need to know what's good for you. No, I mean, to a certain extent, I actually thought maybe I should be using it, right? Like, um, everybody, I'm a corporate spokes guy, right? Like, mm-hmm. I represent Activision when I'm tweeting as one of swords. If I'm playing Black Ops 2, it certainly makes sense to let the world know, hey, everybody, I'm playing my own game, you know? <laughs> At the same time, then I realized that every time that I just use my one of swords account for something normal, like playing Pinball FX... Mm. Or, uh, you know, or, well, I just got Bioshock uh, Infinite and I haven't even gotten the chance to start it up yet. Like, you know, then inevitably when I talk about Rock Band or something, I get these snarky comments from people that are like, ooh, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> and I'm like, there, nobody's going to send me to the principal's office for leading the same gaming life that you lead. Like, I <laughs> your world, dude. I don't deny that Rock Band or Battlefield exists. I play the games that interest me. Like, that's going to happen. I thought that's what you wanted was a real-life human being, not just, hey, guys, it's me, corporate mascot in a giant <laughs> costume. Look at me. I'm only playing Activision games. doesn't make any sense. It's not, the, it's not the how I want to do the job. And yet people like to make a big deal of it when I act like a normal human being. So that's why I don't do Raptor and auto-tweets because, you know, like, if I'm playing Blur, I will go in and I will tweet from Blur the moment that I'm looking for other people to join me. Yeah. But it's really only, I only use it when I want people to come in and, and join me for multiplayer games. The rest of the time, I figure if you really care, you'll just go look up my profile on Raptor and you'll go, what's Dan playing lately? Or you'll ask me on Twitter, hey, what games have you been playing lately? And I always just go, oh, I've been playing you know, Bioshock, I've been playing SimCity, I've been playing Black Ops 2, I've been playing some, uh, you know, yeah. Tony Hawk for old school thrills and blah, blah, blah. You know? Yeah. So, but I, it's fascinating to know that you're playing Bioshock. Thank you so much. <laughs> Um, there was a recent uh, a Walking Dead Survival uh, Twitter event. Um, how, how cool was it to hang out with Norman Reedus? You know, way cooler than I thought it would be. I tend to get starstruck, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, how starstruck I get can always depend on how starstruck that person looks like they feel you should be. Yeah. And you know, I've met celebrities, quote-unquote, who totally wanted you to know that they were a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> Not one of those people. He came in. He was he, like, he just woke up. He lives on East Coast time. They flew him in the night before. He just woke up at the hotel. He came over to the office. Dark glasses, wearing all black, look, looking perfectly like he's one of those roll out of bed handsome guys. Yeah. You know, 
he had a handler with him, and the handler's like, no photos. <laughs> and I'm like, he looks better than I do, and I have been <laughs> – like, I tried to look good today. And what I, it was just how many people were into him as, like, this sex symbol, you know? Yeah. There's so women out there that think that he is the greatest thing in the world, and I believe they would kidnap him if they could. <laughs> and yeah, he, there was a yeah. lot of that following the the hashtag. There was just so many. Um... He's so delicious, and I'm like, what? You know, go... <laughs> it's not something I see. But uh, and I asked him about that. I'm like, your your female fans particularly are extremely vocal. And he told me he's like, yeah, you know, like it's kind of crazy. Like I really appreciate it, and it's great that people support me. But yeah, some of these people they know what I'm doing before I'm doing it. That and... must be terrifying. Yeah, he said, I'm a little afraid, so I, I make sure to make friends with these people. You know what I mean? Like, mm. uh, I don't want them on my bad side. You know, like, right. he said one person actually uh, who identifies themselves as a Norman Reedus stalker uh, went and found pictures of his father from his father's high school yearbook that he had never oh. seen. And he goes, <laughs> whoa, yeah. Great to see a young picture of my dad that I'd never seen. On the other hand, that's a really weird way to see <laughs> A family, you know? So yeah, yeah. he was totally cool. He was, And he was like, I'll take a picture. It's no problem, you know? He was uh, very humble, very cool, uh, and was very entertained to see the attention people were giving him on Twitter. But he was just as cool as you would hope he would be. He was nothing like his characters. You know, he plays badasses in Boondock Saints and Walking Dead yeah. and Blade. Mm. And, you know, he's this totally like, don't meet him in a dark alley or you're doomed. <laughs> he, <laughs> the sweetest guy he's like oh really monday is free bagel day at activision could i have <laughs> you know and, and, and then he left a half-eaten bagel and we made all these jokes like you know we know there's some ladies that would bid on this on ebay <laughs> yeah I was thinking, <laughs> that's right on ebay <laughs> you know he took a swig from a water bottle and then left the water bottle i'm like <laughs> but you know we, we threw it all away and everything but i was just like yeah i was i was amazed to see how intense people we're about him when he is totally not an intense guy. He's just this like he's very grateful to be given this exposure through the game and through the show. Mm. He loves that people love him in this role. He loves that he's got a hit on his hands. And uh, you know, he's an artist, he's a photographer, he's a sculptor, he's he's so much more than Daryl Dixon. So, you know, anything that he does as Daryl Dixon gives people the opportunity to figure out who he is as a guy. And of course, you know, who his father was and where he went to high school. So yeah. uh, <laughs> very weird. Yeah, I think we'll move on to some uh, some more gaming-related questions now. Sure. Uh, Lewis? Um, so, do you think that uh, console gaming is ever going to go uh, do away with the physical media and just move over to um, digital downloads akin to the rumoured Steam box, for instance, or, um, or on live? You know, I, I hate to be one of those people that says, here's... You know, here's what's happening in the next five years of the industry, because uh, I've seen so many other people do that and get it wrong. Mm. Um, so I don't really like to predict too far in the future. But my answer is yes. Not only has my podcast co-host worn me down on this topic, <laughs> but numerous times. Okay, yeah, he, I mean, he believes absolutely that any second now, discs will completely disappear. <laughs> I try to look at it in in terms of you know, magazines will disappear. Well, they didn't, did they? You know, no, like you can no. still get magazines, even though every self-respecting gamer gets their primary gaming information from the web. 
it's just too good at what it does. It's too good at disseminating information to a large amount of people who have opted in to want to know that information. Why would you wait a month to find out what happened? Yeah. If well, that's what, yeah. get instantly online. So why why not for games too? Even though that said, you know, magazines still uh, still offer something to people that want that deeper experience in addition to uh, I always, a friend of mine always said that it's like the web is like hamburgers for lunch, but once a month you like to treat yourself to a fancy steak dinner, and so you'll go out to a restaurant <laughs> and you could get another hamburger, but every once in a while you sort of treat yourself, and that's what magazines are, they're a treat. Mm. So you know, collector's editions of physical games are kind of that treat. You save up extra money and you buy that statue or that you know, night vision goggle or that remote control car or whatever the freaking thing is that they put in next, <laughs> assuming you're just going to get like a deed to land soon in a god game or something but um <laughs> this makes too much sense i like having downloadable games i like having media that will not scratch i like knowing that i can delete a game and as long as i can download it on demand whenever i want it again i don't see the downside and as somebody who has had to move a lot over the years to different apartments i really don't like physical media more <laughs> did you take advantage of the recent um, xbox sale at all um i don't think i did there's some really good uh, games. They're really cheap, really cheap prices as well. I, mean, I, I, I trumpeted to the hills, hey, look at a Call of Duty sale. But yeah. honestly, I'm at the point where my pile of shame <laughs> that I haven't played. Do you know I'm maybe 45 minutes into Arkham City, oh, wow. which I loved Arkham Asylum, and I have not had the time to go back and play Arkham City. Uh, I just finished Uncharted 1 three weeks ago. That's how <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm a huge Mortal Kombat fan, and I still not have not finished... Uh, the Mortal Kombat 2011 game, the reboot. Um, I just bought Bioshock Infinite, but I have Dishonored shrink-wrapped. You know, like, what am I going to do? So, I, like, the worst thing I can do is buy more games. Uh, but I really do believe that digital is, it makes sense. Some people will continue wanting physical, and there's obviously issues with retailers who are going to be like, where's our cut of the pie? But if retailers know that they can sell a card as an impulse buy or as a gift... Right, because that's what you can't do. A lot of people get games as gifts. They're big birthday gifts. They're big holiday gifts. Um, you know, if you can walk into Tesco or Target and pick up a card that says this is redeemable for Black Ops Two, that's still a value. You're still buying a game at retail, even though it's a digital game. And if that retailer says get a free T-shirt when you buy the digital download with our card, then that gives you a reason as a fan to want to go in and pre-order through them or whatever. So I don't believe we need discs to keep the retail experience going. And I think the benefits as a gamer, as a game owner, uh, as a person who moves their apartment is very big. I don't like to buy PC games unless they're on Steam anymore. Uh, I, I still buy disc-based games. I still buy disc-based music, which is kind of weird, but I'm starting to get off of that. Um, but in terms of games... You know, I'm going to download it to the only device that I'm ever going to use to play it. Or, you know, as long as the next device lets me play it as well, then I'm fine with it. Very curious to see how that's going to work with PS3 and PS4 because I do have downloadable games uh, that I got from the PlayStation Store. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, although it's not back compatible for discs, is it going to be backwards compatible for downloadables? It damn well better be, is my, my consumer <laughs> yeah. you know, expectation. Like, I don't want to know that I just bought, you know, Dead Island, or not Dead Island, what was the uh, Dead, oh damn, what's the one that you got free when they had the whole outage? There was a zombie game um, that was Dead fantastic. Rising? It wasn't Dead Rising, but it was something like that. It was Dead something, I don't know. <laughs> it was, I love Super Stardust HD, so let's just go with that. Yeah. I want to know <laughs> Super Stardust HD on my next 
PlayStation platform, I would love to be able to simply play it on the Vita through the PS4, you know, tethered. Mm. That would be too. So I, I'm all for the digital download. I do believe it's inevitability. I don't think it'll happen overnight, but I do believe it will happen because it just makes too much sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think it was a mistake for um, both Xbox and, well, sorry, Microsoft and Sony to chase the casual market with uh, the launch of Kinect and the PS Move? No, I, I mean, I can't really blame them. Um, you know, everybody saw Wii Bowling and went, we want that, right? <laughs> like, let's just, they saw senior citizens in nursing homes saying, we've got a video game system, this is just like my nephews, you know? Yeah. And they're like, well, how do we get more people involved? That's, that's always been something. I mean, honestly, that was kind of one of the keys behind Guitar Hero as well. How do we get people involved with gaming that would never pick up a traditional gaming controller? Mm. So, well, let's, let's remove the controller altogether, or let's make the controller so intuitive that all you have to do is flail your arms and waggle sticks, right? <laughs> um, as a hardcore gamer, yeah, I haven't found a lot of things that I want out of that. Frankly, everything that you can do with Kinect that's aimed at the hardcore gamer, like shouting out uh, commands to your squad or telling the GPS in Forza Horizon where you want to go, yeah. I could do that with a headset, and I'm already wearing a headset because I'm a hardcore gamer, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I don't need the Kinect to be on so that when somebody else in the room says something, they think that I want to go across town in Forza Horizon <laughs> just because I like. I'd rather have it, you know, something that I put talk or whatever. So... I don't blame them for going after the casual market at all. And I, you know, I do love more casual gamers means that more people that think that gaming is stupid or evil or causes terrible societal ills will understand, oh, this, so this is what it's like to interface with a console. They might not play the same games, but they are playing the same system and they're in the same ecosystem. Yeah. So I'm all for that. Um, as a hardcore gamer, I'm also an adult. I know, you know what, that game's not aimed at me. I don't take any game that's not aimed at me as a personal affront you know, if, if that looks like a stupid thing, you know, like Sesame Street, Once Upon a Monster, I don't have kids. I'm not offended that there's a game that's aimed at kids for the Kinect, yeah. <laughs> even though it's not at me. You know, I just don't buy it because I don't want to play that game. I'll play something else. So, you know, seeing things like Angry Birds come in with Kinect support and move support, um, you know, and people going, why the hell would I want that? Well, you probably don't, but it did sell a million units. <laughs> yeah, it sold a million it. Units, you know, <laughs> there was still an audience for that, and just because that audience isn't you, it's ridiculous to be upset by it. So, yeah, there, there's definitely been. I think the response was maybe not as strong as Microsoft and Sony had hoped it would be. Mm. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't say it was a mistake. And also, I really see Connect as a 1.0 product. Uh, yeah. Rob Smith, Machinima, was the guy that told me he's like, you know, I just hooked up my Connect, and this is clearly a 1.0 product. But I can't wait to see what they do in the next generation because they've gotten so many things right. There's not too much compelling for me to do, but I really believe there will be when people start getting user feedback about this. So I'm curious to see how Kinect will be implemented in the next generation of whatever Xbox does uh, because I think that it could be more of what I'm looking for as a gamer. Maybe it will be yeah. a touch. Immersive VR. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's what I, you know, as a hardcore gamer, if Kinect is for simple people, then the complex people want you know, walking around their living room as if they're in a virtual space. That's my. That's always been my dream. Give me an uh, an octagonal treadmill, you know, that I can mm -hmm. walk around so that I can stay in place but feel like I'm walking through a virtual environment. Yeah. Please, mm -hmm. yes, thank you. Um, maybe we'll get to there. Maybe, maybe not in this generation, but I can see that being a realistic goal in the next ten years. 
you know? Yeah. And that's when I would give a hoot about that stuff. <laughs> that said, I get Dance Central, but I love playing it. <laughs> that's the one game I still have for Connect as well. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the one that gets it right, I think. Uh, just sticking with, uh, with Xbox, uh, I mean, after working so long at uh, OXM, is the Xbox still your console of choice? I mean, if it ever really was... Yeah, it it actually is. I'm I you know, a lot of people assume that if I say that Xbox is my favorite platform, then I therefore hate PS3. <laughs> yeah. And it's really not the case. Yeah, there there's certain familiarity breeds um love in this case. Even when I was at Games Radar before I was at OXM, I was the Xbox and PC senior editor. So I oversaw both of those platforms. Um so yeah, I know the Xbox very well and more importantly, here's the biggest single thing. I have one of everything. Mm-hmm. I use one of everything. My wife has her own Xbox 360. Happy wife, happy life. <laughs> yeah, well, no, she wants to play multiplayer games. We play on Xbox 360 and PC. She plays SimCity with me. We play Star Wars The Old Republic. We play World of Warcraft. Uh, and when it comes time to playing console games, she plays Forza Horizon. She plays Black Ops 2. When she wants to play games, I want to play games with her. And if that means playing on Xbox 360, okay. You know, I'm not going to tell her, like, honey, that's the wrong console. She and I actually played different MMOs for several years in the same room. It was so stupid because we were both playing City of Heroes, and she kind of got disinterested, and she had other friends that were playing World of Warcraft. And so I went over, and I tried World of Warcraft, and I didn't like it. So I went back to City Heroes, and we would sit in our room all Sunday afternoon playing two completely different MMOs apart. (laughs) And it was so dumb that after six months, I was like, all right, fine, I'll, I'll play World of Warcraft. You know, because I would rather play with her than play any specific game. That's the magic of games, is that even if you're an antisocial gamer, you like social things about them. You still have friends that you do want to play with. Yeah. And you have- Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Friends that you want to discuss your games with. There is always a social aspect to gaming, even single-player gaming. So, yes, I spend more of my time on Xbox 360. For one, it is the market leader. For two, Activision has a sweetheart deal with DLC coming out first on Xbox, and the mm-hmm. College Championship is, is actually sponsored by Xbox. They're putting up the money. So it's, of my, it's in my professional interest to pay attention to what's going on on Xbox. But at the same time, there are millions and millions of people playing Call of Duty on PC and PS3 and increasing numbers in Wii U as that gets up. And I hear from a lot of people that love Call of Duty on Wii U. They're just like, I love playing on the second screen. It, makes, it matches my life. It's perfect. So, yeah, I, I play 360 more often as a personal gamer because I have so many Xbox Live Arcade games that I got when I was working at OXM. I have a giant software library for 360. I like the controller. I think their social network, I think Xbox Live, is so good that I, I'm amazed that the other two guys have not ripped it off yet. Yeah. Like, I, I just find that interaction very comfortable. It's easy for me to find friends. It's easy for me to jump in on friends' games or for them to join me. Uh, I think they're doing a good job. So, yeah, just as a personal fan, I do spend more time with Xbox 360, but that personal bias should not be taken 
as any sort of personal hatred. And that's, that's what really gets me is when people think that uh, it means that I hate Vita because I play 3DS. You know, no, I also have a Vita and I play Vita and here are my scores in, pin, in, in Pinball Arcade that I get on both PS3 and Vita and I, I love that cross-platform ownership. I think that's great. And, you know, it's just people with an agenda coming and they want you to tell them that they're right and that you're an idiot. And yeah. I generally try not to fall for that trap. Um, just talking about, uh, we've got a couple of questions from our, one of our other podcast hosts, um, Newbie5. Um, he's quite interested to know about uh, the Deadpool game that yes. is due out. Um, he says, Deadpool seems to have the wit and humor about him from the trailer as well as the trademark yellow box but how do activision plan on breaking the fourth wall um obviously as this is a big part of deadpool's appeal yeah in well i'm not sure whether he's talking about activision as like how they're going to market it and get it out to people because i don't know what the plans are for like uh breaking the fourth wall in terms of mm-hmm. like how you re- represent that part of the comic in the game Deadpool talks directly to the people. Uh, I've gotten to see just like a 10-minute demo, and I'm not even okay. sure if I'm allowed to say too much of what I've seen yet because the game is still a couple months off, several months off. They just keep saying mm-hmm. summer, so I don't really know. But the trailer is accurate in terms of the sense of humor, the sarcasm, uh, the ridiculousness that is Deadpool. That is absolutely in the game. And in fact, from everything that I've seen so far, that's my favorite part of the game is it really does feel like Deadpool. He will turn to the player all through the game and tell them things. Uh, when he doesn't like what you're doing, if, if he's losing health, he starts mocking you. <laughs> like, what, you can't, fi- you, know, you can't find something falling on the ground here to give me, you know, isn't there an energy drink or something I could have, you know? Uh, and he's like, you know, gee, player, you really suck. I thought you were a hardcore gamer. You know, stuff like that is, is what he's going to be shouting out, only better written because I'm making that stuff up off the top of my head. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was really like, I could not help but laugh at what I saw in the best possible way because it felt like real Deadpool. Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah I, I think that Deadpool fans will be happy. I don't know, you know, I haven't played the whole campaign. I don't know how long it is. I haven't actually put hands on the game yet. Uh, right. So I don't know how it plays or if it's going to be one of those games where, like, it was a good idea, but they didn't take it far enough. Or maybe it'll just be like, you know, Deadpool's charm will le- will, will uh, get it through and people will who are Deadpool fans are simply going to want to play it because it's Deadpool. I don't know. I'm a big Deadpool fan. I'm, it's funny because I'm not a traditional Marvel fan. I came up uh, reading DC and particularly, like, the Vertigo and darker stuff, like Watchmen and Sandman and uh, Dark Knight Returns and, and sort of the grim and gritty 80s, 90s uh, era of Spawn, you know, on Image and stuff like that. So yeah. the anti-heroes are what I got into. So when it came to things like, you know, Spider-Man, I'm just, you know, trying to get by in New York City. I'm like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> kid, you know. But Deadpool being like, you know, look, all of this is asinine. I'm going to shoot everybody in the face. <laughs> that really appeals to me. So I, I have just as high hopes for the Deadpool game as anybody out there. Uh, but the personality and breaking the fourth wall is absolutely represented in the game uh, in a way that satisfied me as a fan, and hopefully other people will be satisfied with it too. I'm hoping it's as good as the, uh, the X-Men Origins uh, Wolverine game. Yeah, I, you know, I, th- I think that's a great high water mark. Again, I have no idea if it's going to hit that mark. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Everybody, uh, everybody tells me, and, and in fact, you know, I have to use that when people go, well, licensed games always suck. <laughs> and after a while, you have to stop mentioning GoldenEye for N64 because <laughs> yeah. it was 1997. So I go, hey, you know, a lot of people really like that Wolverine game more so than the movie itself. Yeah, And they're like, yeah, but that's one game. And I'm like, yes, it is. Uh, what can I say? 
just one game, <laughs> and three. that's all I have for you right now. But I'm trying <laughs> to offer a candle in the darkness. What do you want from me? So, yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you think that uh, Deadpool will appeal to people who maybe weren't um, weren't or don't know of the character? Oh, I think that's going to be the toughest sell because I believe that the team is Deadpool fans and they know they have to make it accessible. And if you've just heard Deadpool's funny and violent, you should check it out, then, yeah, there's going to be some people that pick it up. I'm not yeah. really sure how they're introducing him, but there are going to be a lot of in-jokes, uh, and I wonder if they will lose people. Fans will be like, hell yes, chimichangas all the time, you know, yeah. and they're going to get <laughs> jokes if you've been reading the comic. You might feel a little left out if you're not, but I don't know what the game is going to do to make you feel less left out. You know, I think I think the game does have a responsibility to be welcoming to new people while not alienating, uh, you know, people that don't get all the jokes. Mm -hmm. uh, so hopefully, hopefully they will do that, you know, in the opening cinema or something. Uh, but I, I really I think that if you're not a, a Deadpool fan, word of mouth about the character or uh, curiosity about the character is what's going to draw you in. Mm -hmm. And hopefully if, if all you know about Deadpool is he's a badass mercenary who kills people and uses a lot of sarcasm and breaks the fourth wall, then you'd be interested in the game, you know? Yeah, that should pull people in, definitely. I would hope so. Yeah. Um, another one in development that uh, Newbie 5 was asking about is uh, when will we get to see more about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game? Uh, more gameplay footage and uh, what enemies will be included? Um, I'm not sure. Here's the, here's the deal. With Activision, there are two main offices, and I don't think a lot of people realize this. Mm -hmm. um, there is Activision Santa Monica, which is where Call of Duty and Skylanders, sort of the business happens. The developers are not there. You know, the developers mm -hmm. are Infinity Ward and, and Treyarch and Sledgehammer. Yeah. Of course, Toys for Bob up in, the, up in Northern California. Um, and then all the licensed stuff, all the Marvel games, all the cartoon games... Uh, Walking Dead, all that stuff comes out of the Minneapolis office, which has sort of a lower profile because, you know, Activision is Activision. Activision has always sort of said our games are the stars. That's why Activision doesn't have its own Twitter account that it uses. Uh, Activision is the real deal, but nobody's using it because they're like, well, we want people to interact with Call of Duty. We want people to interact with Skylanders. We don't want people to be like, you know, Activision is not Nintendo. It just isn't, and it doesn't, it doesn't think that it is. Um, so... All the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stuff is coming out of the Minneapolis office, which has its own PR wing, which I deal with as if I'm a member of the media. So mm. for all of that Walking Dead stuff, that was them calling me saying, hey, we have this opportunity. Would you be willing to, to sort of host Norman if he comes into the office? And I'm like, I'm nervous as hell, but yes. So I'm kind of on a, I find out Ninja Turtle stuff when other people find out. I was happy to see that trailer come that soon after the announcement that there was a deal, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, I, I'm going to be following up with them, asking as if you know, uh, as if I were a media member. Hey, when can I get a closer look? Can I get somebody on the podcast? When are you going to be doing a media tour or something like that? So, uh, I got to see the Deadpool game when they came to my office as a media tour. It's kind of funny to think that an Activision game would come to Activision to show you their new game, but that's exactly what happened. So, <laughs> um, I don't have an ETA on that, but I will be following it. Uh, it looks pretty cool. Um, yeah. And it, it's definitely based on the, the modern cartoon. So if anybody's expecting something from the 90s cartoon or from even the black and white comics, uh, you know, they're probably going to be disappointed. But if you're into the current show and the current continuity, it's supposed to build off of that. But again, you know, it's a licensed game. It's a crapshoot. You never really <laughs> know. 
So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see more on that. But hopefully soon. And when we do, I'll obviously try to report it on my site. Yeah. Cool. Um, were you surprised by the success of Skylanders? Personally, no. Um, because when I saw it, I first saw it, I guess, mid-2010 when I was there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, just came, I had just come in. One of, the, one of my friends took me over and said, hey, I want you to see this. This is one of the, the titles we haven't announced yet, but it's gonna, we think it's going to be big. And I saw it when it had little handmade prototypes, and it was called Spyro's Kingdom. And he showed me the technology, showed me the portal. Sorry, showed me the magic, not the technology, <laughs> but the magic. And I, my jaw dropped. I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, so are these figures going to be articulated? They're like, no, they're going to be figurines. I'm like, oh. Like, I, I was the first people to be like, but I want, like, a posable figure, you know? Um, and so when I saw that, I was like, God, when can we talk about this? And I want to talk about this technology. They're like, we will never talk about the technology. <laughs> Why? Because this is aimed at kids. And we're going to tell them that it's magic. And you don't want to be the guy that says magic doesn't exist. It's all science. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right, fine, I'll play along. And to this day, every time I – and I've even tried to trap people. I'll get people from the Skylanders dev teams <laughs> and production teams on the podcast or in a public situation. And I'll go, so tell me how, uh, you know, tell me how this works. And, they, and I'm like, so how does the portal really work? And I go, magic. <laughs> like they had to keep that going. So Should I will support them. It is magic. Uh, but I saw it, and I was like, this is going to be great. And I saw the obvious Pokemon parallels. And, you know, I have that collector mentality, too. I was a kid, and I got Star Wars action figures. I have a lot of toys. Um, unfortunately, when you grow up, you collect more expensive things like <laughs> DJ gear or guitars or cars, depending on what your, your, uh, your thing is, or, or DVDs or whatever. So I have 20 guitars, give or take. Uh, I totally understand. <laughs> collector mentality when i saw this i was like well if you're a kid absolutely you're gonna want all these things you're gonna like these characters they're fun and they're you know they're they're bright and they really look like they're high quality toys in and of themselves but what i didn't think was going to happen was that kids were going to fill in the gaps right um like it's it's a stationary figure with no articulation it's only interactivity is when you put it on the portal how is that fun as a collectible toy itself other than just to say i have the thing and so Kat actually wound up, before everything was done, she went and did a photo shoot uh, that they needed for some of the marketing plans of, like, a kid playing with the toy. You know, those awkward, uh, I'm in a living room having more fun than should be humanly possible kind of pictures that you always <laughs> see Nintendo and Kinect doing of, like, a family cheering, you know, oh, because yeah. they're on the- whatever. <laughs> so she went over to do one of those photo shoots with a kid playing with Skylanders with some of the, uh, the prototypes. And she said, I was amazed because the kid had connected with something that I remembered I had forgotten doing myself, which was they're just making up their own stories, mm. you know, and they're like flying it through the air. And they've got a plot line in their imagination that they're using these toys to play with. Mm. And, I, and then suddenly I remembered, I'm like, oh, my God, I used to do that with cars, you know, like little matchbox on Hot Wheels cars. Yeah. I had these elaborate car chases and action scenes and <laughs> jumping over ravines that were like the side of, you know, of my couch. You know, and stuff like that. And and I forgot how much fun I could have with, like, a ball. You know, like, I could do anything I wanted with a rolled-up newspaper, you know? And I have just forgotten that imaginative style of play that comes naturally to kids. So if you give them the boost of, here's a magical creature that's been frozen in plastic, and only you can unlock that magic, that was a much bigger 
uh, opening yeah. to Skylanders than I ever ex- expected. When I saw the game, I was like, oh my god, this is Diablo for 10-year-olds. <laughs> it's an RPG where I can switch the character. If I die, I don't die. I don't even have to like go back and pick up my loot. I just put another freaking toy on the thing. <laughs> I've got a new guy who's like, I'll take it from here, and then he beats the boss for me. I'm like, that's amazingly satisfying as a gamer. So I knew it was going to be of, uh, appealing to older gamers who were looking for a casual Diablo kind of game. And I knew that the kids were going to love it because it had all that collectible DNA that you want. And the best thing is this concept was, was come up with by the developers themselves who all had kids and they were watching their own kids playing with toys and they were the ones that came to Activision and said, we think we have a way to link the world of toys to video games and it's just going to be a huge risk and a lot of investment. Mm-hmm. And Activision said, hmm. And that's why they gave it the extra year, why it never came out as Spyro's Kingdom because it just wasn't ready yet. Well, and everybody at Activision was... Have done that. Right. They were like, it's not, it's not done... We believe in this thing so much. Let's do it right the first time. And I think we'll see that it's worth spending an extra year before we introduce this. And then, of course, you know, as they say, the rest is history. For all of the negative things that have always been levied at Activision, your money grubbing, I don't like Bobby Kotick's shoes, whatever it is that it is. (laughs) When you look at how they did Skylanders, they put out a product that was A, fun for kids, B, fun for regular gamers, and see really, really smart marketing. You know, like, they brought the total package to market, and the market responded, and people wanted it. So um, I, I am happy to say that I was boosting Skylanders, like, I actually got in trouble for sending out a picture on Twitter of some stuff that was left over in, in February. The uh, International Toy Fair takes place in New York. February is when every major toy retailer or a retailer goes to see all the toy manufacturers to see what they're going to have out later that year and particularly for the holiday season so that means 10 months in advance you have to know what you're going to be selling that christmas and you have to have working prototypes to show the most influential retail buyers so skylanders debuted spires adventure uh in february in 2011 and then around june they had taken some of those props back you know, they had like glowing columns showing each of the elements and prototype figures under little lucite cubes and stuff and, and banners and logos and stuff. And they had that all set up in the office. So I took a picture of it in the office and I, and I said, because it was in a public area, mm-hmm. and I was like, um, you know, don't sleep on Skylanders. I don't see anybody getting excited about Skylanders, but I think come this fall, you're going to be really, really surprised. And... You know, that wound up getting me in trouble because people thought that I was sharing secrets. I'm like, no, I'm telling people that there's this really good game coming out, and I'm a picture of something that you showed the world four months ago. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm happy to say that I was right about Skylanders, and I started drinking that Kool-Aid very early. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, I, I mean, I still have a hell of a lot of fun with Skylanders. Uh, and Do you play it yourself? Very much. Um, I have my favorite character is Flameslinger. Uh, I just got Ninjini, which has been the character that everybody's been waiting for. I went to New York and we did this big giveaway to people that lined up outside of Toys R Us in Times Square. If you were just one of the first people there, that I, I, I guess I had a couple hundred Ninjinis, uh, you would get one for free just for showing up. Thanks for being there. Just as a promotional stunt, right? Yeah. I went there. I staffed it. I took pictures. I took a video. Um, I didn't get one. <laughs> <laughs> They, they really were for the fans. So I went back to the office. And I'm like, we don't have Ninjini yet here, do we? They're like, no, we don't. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> so I just got her. Um, and I've been playing a lot. I find that the, uh, 
you know, kids will want to replay the levels over and over again. I'm not one of those gamers that wants to, I didn't 100% the level. I'm like, I got through the level. Let me get to the next level. I'm looking for a linear progression, not perfecting stuff. And I know different people play different ways. Kids tend to want to be like, I found every single hidden object on every single level. I like the arena. There's a, a, like a battle, a PV, it's not even a PVP arena. It's you against the environment. It's a PVE arena where they start throwing different challenges in, like the, the floor drops away. And then, uh, you know, bad guys come in and you can only attack them from the back. And you just have to survive these arena things. But they're like a 10-minute experience. So for an adult who's like, I just have 10 minutes, I want to play a little bit of Skylanders. And I don't want to get sucked into doing a whole level for a half an hour or something. Yeah. That's what I've been playing. And that's how I've been leveling up my characters because I'm really good at the arena. <laughs> so, yeah, so I've gotten Ninjini up to like level 10 already. And, uh, yeah, I, I walk the walk. I actually am a Skylanders fan. Uh, and I, I kind of want to go to some some public event where I can bring my best Skylanders and fight little eight year olds. You know, be like, let's Ape <laughs> Slinger. He's level twelve. You're you're doomed, kid. You know, and and I can't wait to see the bad press that comes from that. Yeah, Activision Sorry, calls out you know four year old kids. You know. <laughs> so um, do you know what's in store for um, what's coming up for the Skylanders series then? Uh, yeah, they've, they've announced that because, again, February was Toy Fair, so that's kind of when they have to call their shots. Uh, Swap Force is the next, the next thing, and I was out in New York for the sort of big press reveal of that, too. The idea is that you're going to have to buy a new portal, which I know a lot of people are really upset about, but um, it'll come with a starter pack for a reasonable price the way the pr- previous starter packs have. Uh, this new portal has <clears throat> new magic in it that will let you play with new figures that have a, a separating top and bottom. So there's a there's a, a pirate octopus named Washbuckler, uh, <laughs> and then there's uh, I'm trying to think of what one of the other one of the other guys is like Freeze Charge or something like that. Now now I'm going to get busted because people will go that's not the name. <laughs> uh, and you can take the top half of the octopus and put it on the rocket boots of of uh, Rocket Charge or whatever the hell his name is. I have no idea. Um, I, I'm really a terrible corporate spokesman. I don't know. Uh, they haven't even revealed what all the names of the guys are yet. But the idea is that there will be 16 of these swappable figures, and then you can mix and match. So if you want, like, there's a, there's a robot that has a, a speed wheel instead of legs, and he moves really fast. One of the big things that adults hate about Skylanders is that none of the characters seem to ever move fast enough. Yeah. This guy moves like a bat out of hell. So if you want <laughs> the pirate cutlasses of the octopus guy with the speed... Of the, of the robot with the wheel, you can totally do that. You can play the whole game that way if you want. Or you can just keep mixing and matching. So you've got 256 uh, swappable parts to make 256 characters that retain you know, the key parts of their things. But strategically, you can say, well, this guy has more speed, or this guy has a different attack, and that attack is like connected to the lower half of his body, like yeah. a kick or something. So you can then you can mix and match... Uh, all you want. Plus, the game will recognize absolutely every single Skylanders toy that has ever been made, including like the little Frito Lay Skylanders sidekicks that were like a, a mail away giveaway thing, all of the adventure packs that came with the first game. If it was ever a toy that interacted with Skylanders in the first two games, you can also use it in the new game. So it's, uh, it's, it's the best backward compatibility type thing, or I suppose forward compatibility thing mm. I've ever seen in my life. I don't know how long they're going to be able to keep it going because now we're getting up into like hundreds of figures, you know, mm. um, let yeah. alone hundreds of combinations of figures. But uh, it's got to be a balancing nightmare. But that's what's on tap. That's coming out uh, in the fall. 
the last I don't know if they've named a date, but the last two games have come out in October. So, um, you know, if if I were going to guess, but not as a corporate spokesperson, <laughs> I would certainly to history um, because they, you know, Activision does like its annual uh, franchises, and that gets it out of the way of obviously everybody who's buying Skylanders is also buying Call of Duty, uh, you know, and that has traditionally come out around early November. So, yeah. um, it would make sense to keep those two apart. Hmm. Um, right, so it's kind of moving away from games a little bit. Um, your Wikipedia page says that you love puzzles. I do. Uh, is that just um, like physical puzzles, or do you? Is that with uh, video games as well? Um, it's, is there it's... one that you love in particular, either the digital or a physical puzzle? Well, there was a, a puzzle that was a huge, huge. Uh influence on me when I was a kid. Uh, it was a book, a picture book called Masquerade by uh, a guy named Kit Williams. He's an artist who, uh, who lives up in the Cotswolds. And he, uh, he, he created basically a real-world treasure hunt, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I've always been interested in like, the supernatural and things that are hidden in plain sight and things that might be there that you don't know are there. The idea of finding those things, and I, I do love that in video games. I love finding a secret room. Uh, or, you know, a hidden magazine cover or, you know, whatever the hell the game's uh, token might be. Uh, and I, I do find, I, I feel very satisfied when I'm rewarded for looking deeper. And that's what this whole book was about. It was like a 20-page or a 13-page children's book with really unbelievable museum-quality detailed paintings that also held this very complicated puzzle. It was in the, the auspice of a children's book about uh, the sun falling in love with the moon, or the moon falling in love with the sun, and so she asked this hare to go give this jewel to the sun, and so the hare travels all through earth and sky and, and water and all the four elements and then finally gets to the sun and he has lost the jewel. So where did the jewel land? It's buried somewhere in the real world. Go find it. You have all the things that you need. And I went, oh my God! You know, I'm like, I'm eight or nine years old. I do not have the mental capacity to solve this puzzle, but it fascinated me. And the idea that what I was holding was not really what I was holding. What I was holding was not just a little kid's picture book, but a treasure map was the most amazing and, and influential thing. So I have been a puzzle nerd ever since. And in fact, through my love of that, when the internet came around, I was like, there's got to be somebody that breaks down exactly what all the perfect solution of this book was. You know, who won it? Where was it buried? What were all the clues? What did I miss? What didn't I understand? And there was no dedicated website to this. So I built one. <laughs> And I was just like, well, look, here's what I know. Let's get this thing started. And I broke down every page and, and the clues that I knew in every page and uh, the hidden messages and the red herrings and all that stuff. And within a week, the puzzle community online was like, here is the greatest page about Masquerade that's ever been created. This is it. We've got it. And I was like, oh, my. Overnight, I became like the Internet standard source to the point where the BBC called me for an interview about Masquerade. <laughs> I've never been to the site where it was buried. I've never met Kit Williams. I'm just that crazy internet fanboy <laughs> who made a website. And here's the BBC calling me. Say, Tell us about one of our greatest national treasures. You know, and I'm like, okay. you know, so that was kind of amazing. Um, and so that's that's where my puzzle thing came from. Uh, to the point where in when I wrote a book, uh, and hopefully you'd be giving me the opportunity to plug this at some point, but I wrote a book, and I put a secret chapter in there that you have to find, because that was such a profound influence on me, and I was like, 
there's a secret chapter that the book will point you to, and then when you find it, you, you, it will make a lot of sense. That's all I'm going to say. Um, there's also a hidden message that a lot of people have decoded. That one's easier. So there's two Easter eggs in the book. But yeah, the whole concept of Easter eggs, uh, literally, we're coming up on Easter. My favorite time of year was Christmas. My second time of favorite time of year was Easter because all I, I didn't care about the chocolate. I wanted to find the eggs. Mm. That, that was all I wanted to do. So yeah, I've always been fascinated by that. And I also, you know, I love, uh, there's a great iOS game called The Room, which was one of the best puzzle games I've played in a long time. Uh, I loved The Seventh Guest. That was one of my absolute favorite games. You can get that out on iPhone now, too. Uh, but it was originally a PC game in the, with the birth of CD-ROMs. Um, I love physical puzzles. I've never been able to solve Rubik's Cube, but I have one on my desk. Um, you know, I like what it represents. I was able to, There was a pyramid puzzle that was like a ripoff of Rubik's Cube. That one I was able to solve, and I was able to solve it in record time. It's the only one I've ever been able to do. Uh, I still do crossword puzzles um, also on my iPad. There's a great free app for that called Crux. You can just download free open source puzzles. And so I do those when I'm in the mood. And yeah, so I'm just, I'm just a huge nerd, I guess, is what it comes down to. But if it wasn't for Kim Williams, I don't think I ever would have been on that path. And, and now, uh, to my wife's chagrin, I have uh, half a bookshelf just full of similar copycat puzzle books. Um, <laughs> of people that saw that Kit Williams did that and went, well, we can do this too. Cadbury was famous for doing uh, a couple of those. And, uh, you know, there's puzzle books that are just puzzles that you have to figure them out. They don't have a treasure. Um, there's some really awesome stuff. So I, I love that genre. The armchair treasure hunt uh, uh, genre is what it's called. And you can find, if you just search Google for armchair treasure hunt, you'll find that there's tons of people that just love this. They just love finding things that are hidden in plain sight. So... Well, when uh, when naming our show, we we took a massive cue from a book that you recommended way back when, Ready Player One. Uh, yes, the Ernest Klein book. I've read that in probably the quickest I've ever read a book. It's so fascinating. That book scared me because there were times that I felt it was speaking to me and only me. Mm. You know, like uh, he makes he makes a reference late in the book to a password and the two things that he references are Tron yeah. like deep like you have been looking at every frame of Tron a Tron reference combined with a sneakers reference the Robert Redford movie about computer hacking yeah oh my god also another great puzzle movie my wireless network is called C-Tech Astronomy after that film <laughs> um, and yeah I, I could not believe I actually had to stop reading for a little while because I was like I've never fe- seen a book that was more written directly to me my generation my my culture, the geek culture, and the idea that you like looking for things. That book is basically one big treasure hunt, and you go along with the characters on the treasure hunt. I, I mean, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's um, absolutely amazing. Have you heard the, a, uh, the audio yeah. book as well? No. Now, Will Wheaton does it, right? Yeah, it's so good. Oh, I got to get because I haven't read it for a little while, so maybe that's how I'll, I'll experience it again. Maybe I'll get the audio book and listen to it in the car. Yeah, I uh, highly recommend that. All right, cool. Thanks. <laughs> no problem. Uh, uh, well, while we're talking about books, I mean, if you, you for those of uh, the listeners who maybe don't know about your book, if you'd just like to give them um, a quick rundown of, uh, of that book. An, ab- an abject plug? You mean? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I would, I would <laughs> aimlessly self-promote my book. Um, basically, the number one question that I got for years when I was in the media was, how do I get your job? You know, there was always a 13-year-old or a 15-year-old writing in whose parents were saying, you've got to do something with your life. What are you going to do? Uh, and so now they're looking for a career choice and they realize, hey, wait a minute, I love games. I want to do something with games. It can't be that hard to review a game. This guy just gets to play games all day. I want that job. And of course, it is harder than that. Uh, it's harder than it looks. But in the same way that Brett Elston was serious about getting that, that 
that job and, and wanted to go after that goal, I wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to say, well, look, you know, I don't want people that think that it's just about free games to be the only people that ever get, uh, you know, this, this job. Yeah. I want people that are really serious about it to know what is going to be expected of them. So the ultimate answer to how do I get your job is what I wound up writing in self-publishing last year as a book. Uh, it's called Critical Path, How to Review Video Games for a Living. I wanted to be as, as overt as possible with that subtitle because I really am d- talking to people that want to do it as a career. You know, like I've said, it's not, and we talk about this in the book, but it's not a lucrative career. This is not, oh good, I get to review video games, I saved the princess, and check out my new Ferrari. <laughs> but it is, you know, there are people that are serious about it who really want to, to do it because of the love of writing about video games and being able to break down and analyze and communicate and save other people money. So it is a, uh, it's like a 300-page paperback. You can also get it digitally. It's actually cheaper to get digitally. Uh, you can get it at Amazon. You can get it for Kindle. You can get it for iBook. Uh, you can get it for Nook. And uh, I believe you can also get it at Barnes & Noble. Um, but it's, it's available internationally too. So um, Yeah, I've actually just I picked it up this afternoon for, my, uh, for Kindle. So oh, uh, great. That, that's going to be my newest read. <laughs> Well, hopefully you like it. I tried to make it very non-technical. I get very detailed for the people that want to get detailed to the point where I tell you what kind of T-shirt to wear to E3. You know, like <laughs> I, I start with the very basics, which is, you know, if you think that it's just reviewing games, here's what the job is and here's what the job isn't. Mm. And here's what's going to be responsible, what you're going to have to be responsible for. I kind of want to set up some giant flags early on to say, if you're just here to get free stuff, go away. Thank <laughs> you for your $10 of buying my book. But you know, <laughs> if you're just here for, for free stuff, it's not going to work out. Yeah. Then it gets into more of the mechanics of writing and how to find out whether, where you are as a writer and how to get help to be a better writer and what some of my little tricks that I always teach I would always teach to the interns or young writers that I was working with at magazines on how to improve their writing. Uh, and then it gets into the really hardcore stuff of this is how to pitch yourself as a writer to editors. Here's how to get paying work. Then here's what happens if you are lucky enough to get a full-time job. What if you do find yourself as the assistant editor at Official Xbox Magazine or the features editor at GamePro? And how do you do that without getting burned out? What's expected of you? Uh, how do you represent your publication at uh, at a magazine, you know, where does the money come from, and where does the money go, and where do you fit in on the staff, and who else are you going to have to deal with, and then we get into prickly things like, do people buy your reviews, and uh, how much can I uh, put in, you know, of my own personal opinion, how much of this is my opinion, how much do I represent the magazine, sort of weightier issues. So I tried to make it, it's it's really not my life story, but I I pepper it with all kinds of personal anecdotes from. Writers I've worked with who made major mistakes. One guy who uh, who had a personal blog, and uh, he had applied for a job, and it took a very long time yeah. for us to get back to him about the job, because, purely due to disorganization on our point. But it was like four months before we called him back, and then he immediately took to his blog and said, yeah, well, I know why they're calling me, because they realize how crap their site is, <laughs> and they know that I'm going to be able to come in and fix it. I mean, like, the worst arrogance I've ever seen. And we're sitting here watching this, and I go to my editor, I'm like, um, so the guy that's coming in tomorrow? <laughs> um, he's blogging. And it's those kind of things that people don't realize that whatever you write represents you, especially if you are seeking work as a writer. You know? Like, your ability to command the written word is all people want to see. Mm. So if your instinct as a writer is to go in and be arrogant and talk trash about your potential employer, that's just common sense. You're not going to get hired. But I guess it's not common sense because he's made that mistake and other people made that mistake. So 
um, you know, that's all there is to it. Um, I, I, I deal with – I also pissed off Jeff Minter. Uh, a lot of people uh, like to say, you know, what happens? Do the developers get angry if you give their game a bad review? My answer is Jeff Minter did. So, um, <laughs> you know, there, there are some weird personal things. You will be – I mean, you know, people dream of being a game reviewer and going, oh, I wish, you know, I could meet some of these people, my heroes. I want to meet Mr. Miyamoto or whatever. Well, what happens when you give Miyamoto's game a bad review, which I know is never going to happen because he's Miyamoto, right? But let's – you know. <laughs> Uh, you meet somebody that you, you have personally loved their work and, like, say it's a Dave Jaffe, right? If Jaffe doesn't like your review, he's going to yell at you, yeah. you know? Like, if you meet Dave Jaffe in person, you shake his hand. He goes, oh, yeah, you're from that magazine that gave my last game a five. I've had that happen to me. I walked into a demo and they were like, oh, GamePro, yeah, you gave our last game a, uh, a 3.5. Yeah, we were kind of disappointed in that. <laughs> How do you respond to that without being a dick <laughs> and without being a, well, sorry, that wasn't me. You know, like, yeah. you know, you represent your publication. You kind of have to take that shot. So there, there's a lot of subtlety to doing this job full time that people might not expect. So even if you wind up not doing it full time and not doing it, um, you know, as a career, if you've ever wondered what the career is like, uh, I tell enough stories in the, in the book that hopefully you will get some insight into what goes into it. So, okay, excellent. So I hope you like it. Thank you for buying it. And I'll be happy. To, uh, I do digital autographs. There's a service called authorgraph.com. And uh, I can send you a little, like, page that you can then save with your Kindle that says, thanks for buying my book. And it's got my signature and stuff. Like, it's free. So if you want to do it. Um, that, that goes to everybody that's bought any digital version as well. So, Well, that's your book plugged. Um, where else can I would like to let people know where they can find you on the internet? Your yeah, social medias? Yeah several outposts depending on what aspect of my life you want to know about um <laughs> if you're looking for activision information then my site is one of swords.com o-n-e uh although if you type in the number one i think it just reroutes you yeah. uh, unless i let the domain expire which would really suck <laughs> uh, so that's where i have uh the one of swords blog uh videos the podcast with uh, my wife cat and hugh sterbikoff one of the writers from robot chicken uh we do that weekly we just put up one yesterday uh as well as lots of giveaways and uh, for those of you who are on the international tip, I always get asked, do you do international giveaways? I will continue to do international prize fulfillment until I am caught. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get things like uh, UK codes for PlayStation Store or Xbox Live Marketplace, but I do get physical objects like T-shirts or collectibles or even Region 1 games. I know a lot of people... Uh, some some people in the UK have told me that they bought Region One consoles, NTSC consoles, so that they can play games that come out in America. So I oh. will, if you know, if you got an autographed copy of the game, I figure that the point is the autograph, not the game. Yeah. So yeah, I'll send that if you win by by random draw. I will do it. I've sent stuff to Scotland. I've sent stuff to Turkey. Uh, I've sent stuff to Germany, uh, and I've sent to a, a bunch of different places in England. Um, and I, I know I've sent at least one prize to Ireland because that guy is like so happy. He reaches out to me every time he has anything. He's like there to cheer me up every time somebody's beating me down on the internet. He's like, Car, we, still, we still love you and thank you so much for that prize package, you know. So it's kind of nice. <laughs> so Activision is one of sorts. Um, Critical Path, the book is criticalpathbook.com. I have everything you need there, including links to, uh, to where to buy it. There's a sample chapter on there. Uh, I do keep a, an informal blog there. If you want to sort of see my thoughts specifically on writing the book and how I got there and what people have said about it, yeah. Uh, uh, let's see. The Masquerade site is on my personal website, so if you want to see my puzzle fetish, <laughs> that's ears.net. Um, that's totally my personal personal website. I've had that website for about ten years now. Um, 
the reason why it's called bunnyears.net is explained on the website itself. It's the last link on the front page. Um, but it also has links to a lot of my other weird hobbies. There's some fascinating uh, stories on there, especially the uh, when you bought your uh, queued up for, I think it was your Xbox. Yeah, my Xbox 360. Yeah. I almost died yeah. getting my Xbox 360. So that is a particular... I actually offered that to OXM, and they did not want to publish it. <laughs> so that's why... On my site because I was like, this is too good to not to not share. So yeah, there's some you know if you've ever wondered just how big of a geek I am, uh, all all of my guitars have their own website within BunnyEars.net. So if you're a musician and you care about gear, uh, go there. And then uh, the one the one weird aspect of my life that we didn't uh, touch on is the music part. Um, with my friend Jude Kelly, we were in an '80s band, an '80s cover band, uh, up in the Bay Area for uh, several years together. And we've both moved away from the Bay Area, but we still work together. Uh, we had always joked on the way to rehearsal that we should start a gaming parody band, sort of like Weird Al, but we would only do games, which sounds painfully unfunny. I will, <laughs> but we fell in love with the idea, and we said we should call the band something that only other gamers would even recognize was a gaming reference. You know, like we didn't want to be, you know, like the way that Mini Bosses—they were one of the first video game-oriented bands we had heard of. And Mini Bosses, a game, is a term that only applies to gamer culture, right? You know it instantly. Mm -hmm. So we called ourselves Palette Swap Ninja because we were both Mortal Kombat fans and arcade fans, and we figured, like, only Mortal Kombat fans know that that's, you know, how come Scorpion is yellow and Sub-Zero is blue because they swapped the palette, right? It's the same guy just doing slightly different moves, and they just changed the color in the computer. They palette swapped him. So um, Ed Boon now knows about Palette Swap Ninja. I've never found out whether he liked it or not. But uh, I know that the Mortal Kombat team knows that Palette Swap Ninja exists. And, of course, we have never written a song specifically about Mortal Kombat. Um, but we have uh, ten free songs up there now. Uh, we've been doing this for far too long. And it's totally the side hobby to our side hobbies. So progress is very slow. Um, but we are, we are working on a very big scope project. That's all I can say. And when that comes out, I think people are really going to like it. So be the cool kid that says, I was into Palette Swap Ninja before they went big. Uh, and go to PalletteSwapNinja.com. We've got a blog there and some, uh, some videos. We've made an official music video for one of our things. Oh, which is fantastic. Um, and for the taking, we, we're not trying to sell you on anything. We have shirts. If you really like what you see and you want to support us in some way, you can buy a T-shirt. But uh, other than that, it's just a for free thing. So, and, you know, and that justifies my, my guitar collection. So. <laughs> And I think that's all the places you can find me on Twitter. I don't know. Uh, online. All those sites, you know, I have, there's, a, there's a Peace Swap Ninja for Twitter. There's One of Swords on Twitter. There's Dan Amrick on Twitter, which is just me and the book and, you know, guitar crap and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of all over the place. I'm surprised, I'm surprised that you can avoid me at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll put links to all of your various uh, projects and places okay. people can find you on the on the on the website but um yeah you'll anyway uh, we <laughs> sorry you'll want to get started now there's a lot of things to link. <laughs> uh thanks a lot dan for joining us um well the this morning for you this afternoon for us um it, it's been great talking to you um and don't forget everyone else you can find us all on the usual uh on the usual websites so at ready p2 on uh, twitter and ready player two that's the number two on facebook um yeah and thanks very much yeah thank you Dan. thank you so much and congratulations for the launch of the thing i'm i'm very very honored to be your first guest hopefully your future guests will not talk this much but i appreciate <laughs> being your first guest i wish you nothing but luck thanks very much thanks very much dan